Trinity Central. We exist to make God central to our lives and our world. You are listening to a recording of one of our Sunday messages. For more information, please go to trinitycentral.org. Don't you just love it, uh, how God orchestrates things? I mean, it's just, I'm kind of going through the morning thinking, this is amazing. I'm hearing stuff that I'm going to be speaking unfolding through the worship and what Ashley brought. And then in the song that Adlin brought, it's all about the name of Jesus. And then um, uh, Nick comes up and says, hey, come on, let's press in. There's more power. There's more, uh, there's more here for us. And, and Eden's got on her set list more love, more power uh, as the next song. And, uh, and then uh, Dave brings in that there is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. Isn't it just wonderful? See, that's, that's how God leads. That's not man getting together and thinking, let's put together a great plan for this morning. That's the, that's the wonderful way the Holy Spirit leads us. And uh, this morning, uh, we are coming that, that there is power in the name of Jesus might be the best title for the talk that I want to give. So... Uh, uh, it's not the title that I gave it, but it is a better t- title than I did give it. Um, so, Father, I just thank you uh, that we can trust in the name of Jesus. Uh, and, Lord Jesus, we celebrate you and your authority over all things this morning. We declare it to be true. We say thank you, God, that we can stand in your authority. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that indeed today chains would break. And that in your mighty name, over these coming weeks, we would see more and more breakthrough in our lives as we understand who it is who stands over us and we live in purity before you, submitting to God and resisting the enemy in your wonderful name. We pray it. Amen. Amen. I wonder whether you've ever had an encounter with the demonic realm. Uh, Okay, I'm hearing some yeses. Uh, my first encounter happened when I was quite young. I guess I was maybe 10. Um, and uh, we had a, a group of people meeting in our garage. And uh, they were worshipping. And this one particular night, I suddenly heard shrieks coming from the garage. Uh, as a curious 10-year-old, I went to go and inv- investigate what was going on. And uh, there was a lady who was uh, experiencing a demonic manifestation. She was uh, sort of writhing on the floor and, and, and shrieking. And a number of people were uh, praying over her and uh, commanding the demon uh, to leave in the name of Jesus. And uh, it, over the next few minutes, I saw the demon leave. And uh, this lady completely transformed. Uh, peace, joy. Uh, it, it broke out into rapturous applause and worship. Uh, and uh, I was standing there as a 10-year-old thinking, wow, this is pretty amazing. Well, it was a little while after that uh, that one night I was lying in my bed uh, asleep, and I suddenly woke up to this incredibly heavy, oppressive, demonic presence in my bedroom, uh, a sense of something pressing onto my chest, felt like I couldn't breathe, couldn't get oxygen, uh, began to gasp for breath, and um, All I could manage to say in that moment was, Jesus, Jesus, 
Jesus. And, and, and as I said, Jesus, this thing lifted off me and disappeared. And so uh, over the next few days, I chatted with uh, the guy who led our church and told him about what had happened. And, and he said to me, you need to understand that there is all authority in the name of Jesus. So if that happens to you again, you just boldly command that thing to leave you in the name of Jesus. And so it did happen about a month later. Uh, I woke up again with this incredible sense of I can't breathe, full of fear. And I just remembered his words. And I said, in the name of Jesus, you leave me. In the name of Jesus, you leave me. And this thing lifted off. And then I thought, well, now that I'm awake, now that you've woken me up, uh, I, I felt quite indignant. I thought, don't you know who I am? I'm a child of God. You've woken up a child of God. When, when a child of God gets woken up, what do they do? They pray. And so I thought my friend's father is an, uh, a non-Christian, a pretty, pretty rough character. I thought I'm going to pray for him and for his salvation. And so I spent the next hour, I think, passionately. I, this is as, a, as a, an 11-year-old just woken up alive to the reality of God in the room, uh, praying, Lord Jesus, save this man. The, the, the enemy woke me up, and I'm going to pray for this man's salvation. C.S. Lewis says there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Our Western worldview has become increasingly materialistic and rationalistic. And we've largely discounted spiritual forces, whether good or bad, good or evil. What we can see, what we can touch, what we can measure is what makes sense to us. And anything that we can't understand in these terms, we tend to discount as irrelevant. I grew up in South Africa where our Western worldview clashed or, or maybe integrated in some senses with our African worldview. And in our local African culture, ancestral worship and witchcraft uh, mixed together. And um, the population that I lived among was very aware of the reality of the spiritual realm. One could go to the witch doctor to curse your enemy or to go and attempt to buy healing. And what was evident was that there was power in the spiritual world uh, that, we, that we were living among. And so however materialistic and rationalistic the Western worldview is, I think we actually see what C.S. Lewis says, uh, is speaking about. We see it in both senses. We see uh, the spiritual world dis discarded, seen as irrelevant, but we also see very unhealthy interest in the spiritual realm. So we see uh, a fascination with dark spiritual powers in horror movies. We see it in uh, people gathering for seances and to play with Ouija boards and uh, to do tarot card readings, to go to psychic fairs, the other occultic practices. We see Middle Eastern practices like yoga, transcendental meditation increasingly creeping into our culture. And the spirit realm is working through these things. It's very real. And just because we rationalize it away, it doesn't mean that it's any less active in our context. Now, Paul, who wrote, uh, who God used to write most of the New Testament, tells us this. He says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light 
of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What he's saying is that before we came to faith in Jesus, we, there was active blinding going on in our lives. There was a God, and that's a small g God, who was actively involved in keeping us in darkness and trying to hide from us the glory of Jesus and the truth of the gospel. He was at work in our lives. And he was operating not just through occultic activity, but also through uh, unbelief, through the many philosophies that kept us uh, from seeing and from knowing God. Now, over the next three weeks, we're going to be talking, we're bringing our Alive in Christ series to an end, and we're going to be talking about the, the, the spiritual realm, how we understand the spiritual realm this morning, uh, and then um, next week, how spiritual demons influence us, and then finally in week three, living free from oppression. So that's where we're going for these next three weeks. And this morning, as we come to this question of understanding the spiritual realm, or uh, there is power in the name of Jesus, I want to ask four questions. One, how do we understand the spiritual realm? Two, how do we experience victory in the spiritual realm? Three, where is the battle located? And four, how do we resist the devil? So I'm going to move quite quickly uh, and then just see what God wants to do with us at the end. How do we understand the spiritual realm? God didn't just create a physical universe. He also created a whole spiritual realm, a host of spiritual beings. And these spirit beings are intelligent, they're able to speak and act, but they don't have physical bodies, so they cannot normally be seen by us. Colossians 1 verse 16 says, For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. So the things that we can see and the things that we can't see were made by Jesus, and that includes this hierarchy of spiritual beings. So Scripture describes cherubim, seraphim, living creatures, archangels, angels, a whole uh, host, a, a hierarchy, uh, angels with different roles, spirit beings that serve God in different ways. Scripture tells us that angels are caught up in worshiping God, but they're also used by God to minister to us, to protect us, and to help us. Now, at some point... After being created, Satan, who was uh, one of the great uh, and powerful angels, sinned against God and led a rebellion against him. He was cast out of heaven. And this is what we would refer to as the demonic realm, Satan and those angels that fell uh, from grace, who rebelled against God with Satan. That is what we would refer to as the demonic realm. Now, the first thing that is really important for us to note is this. Satan and his forces are created beings, and therefore, they are unlike God. Okay? They are more like us, in that sense, than they are like God. It's really important that we understand this. There is no equality between God and Satan. God is uncreated. Satan is created. 
We need to understand that. That's so important. Jesus is uncreated. He eternally was and he eternally will be. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have always existed and will always exist. They have no beginning and they will have no end. There are three words that we use to describe the, what we call the non-communicable attributes of God. Um, omnipotent which means that he is all-powerful. He has all power and authority over every other power. Uh, there is nothing that stands in competition with Jesus uh, in terms of his power at any point. Second, so he's omnipotent. Number two, he's omnipresent, meaning that the, he is present in every place at all times through all of history, past eternity, and future. Three, he's omniscient, which means he is all-knowing. That means he knows the past, the present, the future, every permutation of the possibilities. God knows all of it. The spirit realm is not like that. Satan and his demons are not like God. Like angels, they are finite in their power. They're not omnipotent. They are only able to be in one place at one time. They're not omnipresent. And though they're intelligent, they are limited in knowledge and understanding, and they cannot see into the future. So, for example, Peter tells us that angels longed to look into the mystery of salvation. They understood that God was unfolding something through the ages, through a plan for human history. They understood that God was going to rescue humanity, but they longed to understand it. They longed to look into it. And so angels got to understand it at the same time that we understood it. I, I, I loved what uh, Ash said this morning about uh, the devil understands the promises of God. The devil knows the Bible pretty well. <laughs> Very well, in fact. Let us not let him know more about our promises than we do. I thought that was great. Great comment. De secondly, so first... Satan and his forces are created beings, and therefore they are not like God. Secondly, demonic forces are committed to the destruction of all that God has created and all that God calls good. So demons, or these fallen angels, following Satan, are committed to destroying us. So seeing Satan and his demons are unable to war against God himself, they seek to war against his creation they create as much chaos, disorder, death, and destruction as they are able to and as is permitted in that sense by God. So we live in a fallen world where people are sinful and they rebel against God and they do horrible things to, other, to each other. And we can see that around us. It's evident in the world around us. Our, our TV screens, our internet news is filled with the evil stuff that people do one to another. But behind that, beyond that, there is a spiritual realm in which demons are actively influencing events, causing sickness and death, attacking relationships, and accusing the saints. That's their general work. Now, Peter, the apostle, says to us, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Christians are instructed to be sober-minded. Well, that, that is not a reference to alcohol. That's a reference to thinking rightly. 
We need to be aware of go- what's going on around us. Paul says we're not ignorant of the enemy's schemes. We should be aware. We should be watchful. We should be on our guard. We should not be taken in by these things. We need to understand that the world around us is not just material, but the material world is deeply influenced by the spiritual world. And Peter tells us that the the, the devil is an adversary. He's an enemy. He's seeking to destroy those made in the image of God, to devour them. Now, actually, the reference that Peter's making here, if you watch African nature documentaries uh, about lions, you'll see uh, the, the undertone of what's going on here. Zebras, wildebeest, antelope, these are the things that uh, lions love to prey on, and they all pack together in herds. That's their best protection. And when a pride of lions attack, what they do is they, they come at the herd and they try to carve, the, they, they try to divide uh, single animals off from the herd. They try to carve them off. Once they're on their own, once they're isolated, they are easy pickings. They're easy prey. And there's an inference here in what Peter is saying is that Satan and his demons try to carve us off from God's people. He tries to get in. He tries to divide us from. He tries to get in there, pull us away from. And as we're isolated, he moves in for the kill. He is able. We become easy prey in that sense for the devil who's seeking someone to devour. How does he accomplish this? Well, Number one, he seeks to create divisions in the church. How often have we seen people leave the church, step away from fellowship because there was something hurtful that happened in the life of the church? And so out of that division, they step out of the church, they step out of God's people, and they become easy prey. Another way that the devil does this is he uses temptations to distract us, to pull us away from God's people. Things that we love to do, things that we we enjoy begin to pull us in another direction from being with God's people, choosing to go skiing on Sunday mornings instead of being with God's people in worship, choosing, uh, you know, your your kids having activities that, that coincide with church meetings or life group or whatever it is. Gradually, I'm dropping out of fellowship. I'm stepping away little bit by little bit, little bit by little bit, until I suddenly realize I am so far from fellowship. I'm easy prey. Taking all my weekends in the summer to be outdoors, the mountains. Friends, when God says, don't forsake the gathering, he says it for our good. He says it because he wants us in his presence together. That is what his people are. He says it for our health, for our protection, and we disobey him at our spiritual peril and the spiritual peril of our family. We need to get this. It's serious. So in these past two years with COVID, we've encountered a huge amount of isolation. Is it any wonder that mental health and emotional health issues have exploded among us? And with that, a spiritual lukewarmness has seeped into the church. And believers are making decisions they would have never made two, three years ago. Caught up on mission, caught up in, hey, I'm here for things. I'm, I'm going after things. Suddenly they're making decisions that are about my own, my own future. I'm just, just stepping back. I'm, you know, I'm just taking, making wise decisions here. They're not wise. They're not wise. They're lukewarm. We must call them what they are. 
Satan's main weapons against believers are number one, temptation. Temptation towards selfishness, self-centeredness, sexual sin, lusts of the flesh, deceitfulness, laziness, hopelessness, throwing off responsibility, greed, lust for power, a desire to control and manipulate others, gossip, and sins which attack relationships. Temptation. It's one of his key weapons that he uses against us. Weapon number two, fear. Pulls our eyes off God as our protector and our provider. We spoke about this last week. And so we try to control the outcomes of our lives with self-reliance, with self-fulfillment. We begin to put our trust in ourselves rather than God's. That's what fear does to us. And the third thing is accusation. Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. He accuses us day and night. Feelings of condemnation, feelings of shame, feelings of unworthiness and guilt. These things are from the pit of hell and they affect our view of God and they affect our view of ourselves and they begin to pull us out of fellowship with one another. Shame is a powerful thing. Guilt is a powerful thing. When we begin to live under condemnation, it just takes us out. Now, that's the bad news. <laughs> How do we experience victory in the spiritual realm? Maybe you're feeling a little glum now. Arrayed against you are powerful forces of darkness which seek your destruction. Furthermore, you cannot see them and you do not have spiritual power to wield against them. The answer is this. It's even more bleak. You cannot have victory over these spiritual forces. You are utterly helpless before them. Now this is where the gospel again is such good news. Overwhelmingly good news. Because this is not the end of the story. The gospel teaches us that Jesus, that God so loved us that he would not leave us in this terrible situation. And so Jesus entered this world as our deliverer. He came to fight those forces on our behalf. He came to defeat the powers of darkness and set us free from their oppression. So 1 John 3 verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's why Jesus came. He came to do that. Thank you, Jesus. When Jesus came to earth after his baptism, we read, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned to the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. So at the beginning of his ministry, the first thing he does, having been baptized, is to go into the wilderness and to, to, to go to war with the devil. He begins to endure temptation. Temptation starts to come on him. And uh, 40 days of fasting in the wilderness, weak with hunger, yet Jesus defeats Satan and his temptations with the word of God. He recalls scripture. This is why scripture is so important for us to be versed in it. Uh, he defeats him with, with scripture and with prayer. So he defeats him in the wilderness and Satan leaves Jesus alone, and Luke says he, he left him alone uh, awaiting another opportunity to attack him. 
Jesus then returns from the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. And on the first Sabbath, he reads from the scroll of Isaiah in the synagogue. uh, And he reads out what is essentially his manifesto for his ministry. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Hey, I've come to set you free and recovery of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed. Twice he refers to this question of oppression and freedom to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Hallelujah. Jesus began that work in that moment. And so then he began to preach the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, and he began to heal the sick, and he began to drive out demons. Drive out demons, didn't he? And then he recruited the 12, and then he said to the 12, I'm giving you authority to do the same things that I've done, preach preach the kingdom, Uh, heal the sick and drive out demons. I'm giving you authority. Go through the villages and do the same. And so they did it. And, and, And they came back to him and said, even the demons left and we told them. I'm so excited. Wow, we've got this authority. But see, Jesus had much more in mind than just equipping those 12 to do that. In fact, he had more than equipping us in mind. Jesus was planning to do something which would disarm the powers of darkness once and for all, enabling the salvation of mankind from their oppression by dark spiritual forces completely and utterly. Finally, it was time for the climax of the battle. Satan would once again come for Jesus. He entered Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus' disciples, in order to betray Jesus. And and then Jesus went through this mockery of a court case and, and was assigned for execution, sentenced to crucifixion. But you know what? The demonic forces should have listened to Jesus a little bit more closely. They should, have, they should have listened to the words that were coming out of his mouth, and then they would have understood that crucifying him was about the worst possible thing they could ever do. Jesus says in John 10, 17, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay my life down, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. Hello, demonic forces. You think you're going to take it from me. You think you're going to win. No one takes my life from me. But I lay it down of my own accord, my my own choice. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. (laughs) Hallelujah. This charge I have received from my Father. Now, if if you understood what he was saying, you would never have crucified him. Because what's going to happen is Jesus is going to take our sin. He's going to submit himself even to death uh, and the grave. But that death could not hold him. He devastated the power of sin. He rose to a new life in glory. And he brought us with him. That's what Jesus did. And so Colossians 2 verse 13 says, And you, that's us who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Jesus, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And then this line, 
He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus Christ, in his moment of greatest weakness, triumphed over every power of hell and darkness that we would ever face. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And... and the, the picture that Paul is referring to when he talks about triumph is this picture of what Roman generals would do. They would march into Rome on, a, on the end of a successful conquest and they would lead a whole, before the army came, they would have a whole ton of prisoners that would be shamed as they came into the city and people would line the streets and they would throw things at these prisoners. They would be put to open shame. That's what he's saying Jesus did. He put them to open shame by triumphing over them at the cross. That is, he led them like captives in his train. That is what Jesus did. The best way to describe what the world we live in now, post the cross, is like... I guess Second World War Germany, when they declared their surrender. The, the war was done. The war was finished officially. But then there was a period of time where the mopping up operation still had to happen. And, and pockets of fighters who didn't know the war was finished were still holding out, still resisting. And they had to be brought into that victory. In the same way, we're still caught up in battles and skirmishes. There is a mopping up operation to be done. But it's not like it was. We now stand in the victory of the Lord Jesus over every power, every principality and power, and we live in the good of what he has won for this. So we now need to clear out our, our lives, the evil one's influence. Well, how do we do that? We need to understand, first of all, the location of the battle. Now, You'll notice that the things that I mentioned earlier on in terms of the way the enemy attacks us are all through our minds. Temptation, fear, accusation. Paul, when he's talking about this in 2 Corinthians, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. So though we live in this material world, this natural world, the war that we're in, and we're in a war, is is not a material war. It's not against flesh and blood. It's not against other people. Paul is saying that we can misunderstand the battle that we're in. We can fight against people when actually what we need to make sure we're doing is fighting against spiritual forces. Paul says that God has given us weapons of great power, but they're not for beating up people. They're for warfare in the spirit realm. He says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Well, what's a stronghold? A stronghold is a castle. It's a fortress. It's built in order to occupy an area of land. It's, it's built in order to, to claim a territory. It's very hard to defend a piece of ground with a tent camp. But if you build a strong fortress, it's very hard for an enemy to come and take that land. And so Paul tells us that God has given us weapons which can demolish fortresses or strongholds or, or, or ways of, uh, well, let me come to that in a second. But we can demolish them, okay? So our next question is, where are these castles? Where do they exist? Where are they? What does he say in verse 5? He says, 
We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So these castles are not in outer space. They're not in our offices. They're not in our nation. They're not in our homes. They're between our ears. That's the location of the battle. The battle happens in our minds. The battle is waged in our thinking. So in this battle we're in, Satan is trying to build fortifications in our minds around lies and ways of thinking that stand against the knowledge of Jesus. And Jesus says, you have divine power to smash that stuff. You see, the thing is, if Satan can, def- can shape the way we think, the way we believe, those things shape our habits. The way we think shapes our habits. It shapes our decisions. It shapes the way we do our relationships. It shapes everything. It shapes the way we view our future, our past. It shapes the way we view other people. If, if he can dominate territory in our minds, everything else follows that. Those strongholds or castles can then be used for demonic influence in our thinking. What do these castles look like? Paul says two things. Number one, arguments. Rational or logical ways of thinking that shape our beliefs or our actions. This could be philosophies like atheism or some other ism. Uh, Or they could be very practical things like here's, here's a common one for us. Vancouver is too expensive. We'll never be able to afford a place here. We should leave. Of course, Vancouver is expensive, but if God has called us here, he will provide what we need. The righteous walk by faith and not by sight. So arguments sound rational and reasonable, but just because they are, it doesn't mean they come from God. Okay? And the second way, so there's arguments, he he uses arguments, and the second is pretensions or imaginations or what the ESV says, every lofty opinion. These are less concrete. They may be ways of thinking that when you put them under a microscope, they don't seem very logical or rational. They may be fears or paranoias. They may be dreams that are not rooted in God. They may be conspiracy theories. What do we need to do with these things? Paul says, take every thought captive. This is where the battle is, and it's serious. We need to take every thought captive. We need to understand that our minds are holy ground. And we need to be very careful with what we allow to take up residence in our minds. When we believe that the demonic realm speaks to us, uh, when, sorry, when we believe what the demonic realm speaks to us, when, when we take on those lies, whether it's accusation, whether it's engaging in temptation, uh, whether it's fear, when we begin to take them on, we begin to partner with those lies. We allow strongholds to be built up and we begin to behave and act and decide out of those things. So coming into land, how do we resist the devil? James 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is, the, this is the key. I've often heard people preach the second part of that verse without the first part. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's not what it says. It says submit to God. Submit to God. That's where your authority comes from. 
That's where you start. When you are aligning your life with Jesus, when you're saying, your priorities are my priorities. Your future is my future. What you say goes in my life. Even if it's hard, even if it's difficult to work out, what you say, I choose. When we submit to God like that, we find we begin to walk in authority. And the devil comes against us. We have authority to say, I resist you in the name of Jesus. That's what it means in that sense to take captive these thoughts. I resist you in the name of Jesus. I will not think that way. I will not be that way. I will not engage in that way of thinking. Let me just finish with this illustration. A policeman stands in front of a semi-truck. He puts his hand up and he says, Stop! Who has the more power? Go on, you can say it. It's not a trick on it's not trick. It's not a trick answer. The truck has more power. Why does it stop? Because when he dons that uniform, he takes on the authority of the state. And when he puts his hand up and says, you stop, that thing stops. Because he has the authority to command that. And you see, we might stand against spiritual forces that have more power than us. But when we stand in the name of Jesus and we say, enough, you're done. Get out of here. In the name of Jesus, he has to flee. That's where our authority comes from. There is power in the name of of Jesus to break every chain. And so if you know, even as I've been talking this morning, you, you've been sensing, actually, I know there's stuff going on in my life where it feels like I'm partnering with lies. I feel like my, my thinking is all over the place. I'm, I'm caught up in, in ways of thinking that maybe aren't from God. Maybe even as you've been here in this moment, you've been uh, recognizing, actually, I've not been living my life in submission be making choices for myself. It's not submitted to God. This right now is a moment for you to step into God's, into submission, to say yes to God, and to begin to see these things broken off your life. So why don't we just stand, band, if you guys could come back up. What I'm going to do is, uh, I'm just going to lead us in prayer. And over the next three weeks, if you feel like, actually, I need ministry in this area, we would love to pray for you. Just this week, I had the joy of uh, praying for someone and seeing uh, demonic influence or uh, oppressing spirit leave them. So wonderful. So wonderful to see people beaming with life because Jesus has set them free. Jesus wants to set us free. If you're struggling with stuff, don't be ashamed of it. Don't be ashamed. Just say, hey, I want freedom. I want to come and get what God has for me. So why don't you just lift up your hands to the Lord Jesus. And uh, maybe today you just need to say to him, I choose to submit. Maybe you need to say that right now. Just say it to him. I choose to submit. Right now, while you're choosing to submit, there may be an area of life that the Holy Spirit just puts his finger on and says, what about this? What about that? Will you submit that? 
Just take that moment and say, yes, Lord, I choose. However challenging it is, I choose to submit it. Lord Jesus, I thank you that there is all authority in your name. You said, I have been given all authority. All authority in heaven and earth is mine, and I am with you. Thank you, Jesus, that we can stand in the power of your name, that we can advance in the power of your name. Thank you that no weapon formed against us shall prosper because you are the King of kings, seated on the throne. We, we, we stand in your name. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that when the enemy comes in like a flood, you say you will raise a standard against him. We raise the cross. We speak the name of Jesus. We thank you that in that powerful name of Jesus, every uh, chain will break. And so, God, we just step in. We say yes to you this morning. We say yes to you. Why don't we just close by singing this chorus together?